This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode, the final episode of Breaking Bad that we are going to cover. Season 5, episode 16. It is called Felina. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, co-founder of Breaking Pod, co-founder of the entire vernacular podcast network, the Sultan of Pod, oh Chris Kringlecast himself, the king of the microphones, the man with the golden voice, Zach. Zach, how are you? I told you I was going to do it. You did. I prepared this earlier today. <laughs> there you go. There's your intro. I was hoping you had forgotten about your promise to make the final episode <laughs> the most epic. The Sultan of Pod. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Thank you. There thank you, you go. Thank you very much. It's an honor. It's an honor. No, I'm Zach excited. Reach the end. I'm excited about this, man. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in this episode. Maybe not quite to the sort of apex mountain of uh, Ozymandias and Granite, Granite State, but still a lot of good stuff here. And more importantly, I mean, we've done an episode for every single Breaking Bad episode. It really feels like quite an achievement at this point. And so it's it's exciting to be standing here. Yeah, I would absolutely say that. And, you know, this is not going to be the final episode of Breaking Pod. We're going to do one more where we're going to do a sort of a a 50,000 foot view of sort of the series. We're certainly going to uh, talk about some fun things like our favorite auxiliary character. Uh, We're going to talk about some other things like uh, there's a great article about the the death count in Breaking Bad, which I think is as interesting, if not fun. And I think we'll also, of course, revisit the initial question that we posed you know about the character of Walter White so we're going to give our answers to that after having rewatched this whole series start to finish and Zach I have to say the only bad thing about finishing this out is that I really feel like we've hit our stride now and now it's right? over I know but the good thing the good thing is that as Zach teased in the last episode we are planning to do something different away from Breaking Bad you know in the future and and so we'll tease a little bit about what that's going to be in our final final episode so stay tuned for that you haven't heard the last of us uh hopefully you don't want to hear the last of us and and keep (laughs) listening in 2021 as we embark on a new adventure in podcasting all right zach are you ready let's just jump right into the two minute summary i mean i think it really might be a two minute summary it's a little bit long based on how i read which is a little bit slower could be two minutes all right i'm gonna put you on the clock now let's go put me on the clock All right, so this is the two-minute summary from Wikipedia. Here we go. Walt locates Gretchen and Elliot and gives them over $9 million to give to Walt Jr. when he turns 18, threatening that he has hired hitmen who will kill them should they fail to do so. He then crashes the meeting between Lydia and Todd, putting the ricin in Lydia's stevia. He travels to Skylar's new apartment and admits he continued his pursuits in meth production for his own satisfaction and ego, rather than for the benefit of his family, as he always asserted. He then drives to the Aryan Brotherhood's headquarters with the M60 machine gun, which he has jury-rigged in the trunk. When Jack brings Jesse in from cooking to show him to Walter, Walt tackles Jesse to the ground and triggers the M60, which mortally wounds Walt and kills everyone else except for Todd, whom Jesse strangles to death, and Jack, whom Walt shoots in the head. Jesse refuses to shoot Walt, though Walt asks him to. When Lydia calls Todd, Walt answers and informs her within earshot of Jesse about the poisoned stevia. Walt and Jesse acknowledge each other one final time before Jesse escapes in Todd's car, crying in joy. 
As he succumbs to his gunshot wound, Walt spends his last moments gazing around the meth lab before suddenly collapsing and dying. The police find his body in the lab moments later. That is the end of the two-minute summary. Zach, how did you on time? One minute, 20 seconds. Pretty good. Okay, not too bad. Yeah. Not too bad. All right, what grade do you give this? I, I have a feeling it's not going to be the greatest grade. Yeah, it's not a good grade. It's not. It's uh, I, I'm going to go C minus. There are yeah, a few a things of here. Sentences. A lot of that, yeah. So there's some grammar issues. I will say, however, that I do appreciate how they said jury rigged. Um, you know, this is maybe not a great thing to confess, but up until about three years ago, I didn't know it was jury rigged, and I thought it was Jerry rigged, like some guy named Jerry. You know, would always like MacGyver things and just sort of make things happen. <laughs> yeah. And then you know, it's one of those things like you hear it on. Uh, you hear it on like a radio ad or something, or you, or just you hear it and you never see it written, and so you just think of it written and in, in the way you hear it. Uh, so anyway, I like how they use the term jury rigged. It's an appropriate use of the term. Um, it is maybe not a super realistic thing to jury rig the way that Walt does it here, and we can talk about that. But uh, the other thing with this is that I think it, the way the summary is written, and this is a very common problem with our summaries it sort of puts the cart before the horse on a few of these things, right? So it tells us right up front, he puts the rice in Lydia Stevia. Well, we didn't actually ever see him do that. And we don't find that out until the very end. And so that would be a good thing to mention when Walt is on the phone with Lydia at the end. We don't need to hear about that earlier on, for example. Uh, another major thing that it missed out here, uh, missed out on here is the uh, Jesse crying in joy. That scene is not one that I would describe as Jesse crying in joy. Jesse crying in a sort of maniacal sense out of like anger and fear and relief, et cetera, perhaps all of those things. But I would not say, Oh look, it's Jesse. He's driving away crying in joy. <laughs> that is, yeah, those are yeah, not yeah. three words that would come to my mind to describe that. So I think this misses the mark on a few, on a few points and I will give it a C minus for that reason. What about you? Yeah, I like all your points. And in, in addition to the fact that it's not written very well, so I'm going to give it, a D plus, our final two-minute summary is not making the grade here, but I think for for many, many real reasons here. So, yeah, I think that uh, that's a good way to sort of wrap up these two-minute summaries, which have never been very good. I don't think we gave a single A. I'd have to go back and listen, but I don't think we... We gave a couple B pluses. I think so, yeah. Maybe even an A minus, but certainly no no A's or A pluses. So. Yeah, and you, you remember to do my ridiculous introduction, but what I forgot to do is I told you long ago I was going to write one of these once. <laughs> and put it in there and see what grade you gave my writing. And I oh, I, I, I forgot to do that. That would have so, been good. Yeah. That would have been good. Next time. I mean, you used to, before we started this, I think you used to sort of summarize them yourself. And those were always, oh. always more on the mark. So Pristine. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk quickly about some trivia and bloopers. And we have several broader thoughts and themes because this is ob obviously the, the wrap-up episode, the one that sort of ends everything and is supposed to sort of put a final bow on most things. I did read that Vince Gilligan really did not want to leave anything, uh, no stone unturned. He wanted to make sure that all the loose ends were, were wrapped up. And I think he did a pretty good job in this episode. This is one he wrote and directed himself. But in terms of trivia and bloopers, as we've been talking about all along, the the ringers list of, of uh, ranking these episodes, and this one landed at number 19, which... You know, if you were to have asked me again right after the episode aired, I would have said would have put it higher. But I think this is a pretty reasonable spot for it. I mean, when you look at it as a standalone episode, it's not the most amazing thing in the world. There's certainly some really great set pieces, some great moments. But overall, I don't know if you feel this way too, Zach. It's not it's not perfect. 
It's certainly not perfect. I agree with you. However, I actually kind of had the opposite experience that you did. I remember seeing this the first time around and even the second time around and thinking like, ah, these didn't wrap up. You know, they did a pretty good job at not leaving any loose ends, et cetera. But, you know, Ozymandias is clearly a better episode, even Granite State. I don't know if I feel that way. The third or whatever it is, fourth, maybe for me now, time around. I think this is actually a strong episode. And I'd say that because there are some really, really strong moments that are not the moments you think they are. So I think people primarily think of the shootout at the end. I don't yeah. really like the shootout at the end. I like the um, I like the sort of build up to the shootout. I like the post shootout, but the shootout itself like doesn't really do it for me. Uh, love the conversation between Skyler and Walt earlier on. Uh, love the Elliot and Gretchen stuff with Walt. So I think there's a lot of strong points of this this episode that most people don't really think about when they remember the final resolution of Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think you're right. I I think that there there are some problems with the shootout and i think because it culminates in in this sort of like massive very very much like action show set piece that i think that that sort of like lessens the episode for me um, and we're going to talk a little bit more of that in broader thoughts and themes so i'll save that for a minute but some other trivia here that that zach uh, lovingly put into the outline here so the clothes that walt is wearing at the end of this episode and the end of the series are the same clothes he's wearing in the pilot. He's wearing a button-down green shirt, and he also, uh, in in this episode, he has on a khaki jacket, which we don't believe he was wearing in the first episode, but of course, that was sort of out in the middle of the desert. This is uh, wintertime, I believe, in, in terms of setting, so um, that could be why that's the case. Uh, another piece of trivia here, Felina, which is the name of the episode, is the name of the woman in Marty Robinson's song El Paso, which is played in the car that Walt steals from New Hampshire. Uh, in the song, the singer is driven from El Paso for the crime of murder. He eventually returns only to be gunned down. So this is a little bit of foreshadowing at the beginning of the episode. I quite like that that opening. I don't think it, it made it into our any of our best scene, best moment, but he's sort of in this like snow-covered car and the police are sort of in the area and Walt thinks he might be arrested but i, I kind of like the visual of that it's, there's not nothing huge but i also love that he doesn't realize that the key is in the uh in the visor above him and it just falls down on him uh the episode title as we said comes from the song uh el, el paso and um yeah so that i think that covers pretty much everything in terms of trivia and bloopers zach anything i missed there no i don't think so um on the topic of songs though i would like to point out just the uh that's not the only good song in this episode. There's also Baby Blue by a band called Badfinger that I have I've heard nothing of their music other than this this um one song, but it's pretty good and it's a fitting conclusion to the series. Yeah, yeah, it's it is good and I I'm surprised they found something that fits so perfectly. I don't know which which lined up first if they had the song in mind from the very beginning or if they just found it. But yeah, it does fit pretty nicely. Yeah, I, I often wonder that, too. I mean, same thing with, you know, El Paso by Marty Robbins. Like who who in the writer's room was, was like, oh, I know a perfect song for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my yeah, favorites exactly. from growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can we play a little bit of the, uh, yeah. the Baby Blue yeah, song? Yeah, let's hear it. So 
So it's interesting if you listen to that song because the the lyrics are certainly very thematic, but the the tone of the music is is almost sort of upbeat. Yeah. It's sort of uh, it's interesting, which sort of brings me to one of my broader thoughts and themes that I wanted to to bring up, which is I kind of wanted to get your impression here on this episode in particular, and and really like Granite State as well, which really seems to be trying to make Walt heroic. I mean, at the very end of this episode, he guns down, you know, this this is not an original thought for me. This is actually what they pointed out in the, the ringer sort of recap of ranking the episodes. But like Jack and his crew are very clearly like evil. Like there's no there's no gray. And, and Breaking Bad mostly does a very good job of portraying their villains in a very like gray area, you know, but to have Walt sort of at the very end kill off these very clearly evil people. It almost seems like they want, I mean, I, I think that the writers want you to like Walt. They want you to be rooting for him at the end. And then you hear this music, which lyrically is very thematic, but is almost sort of like a, a like happy ending type of music. And I, I kind of want to get your take on just two episodes ago, Walt was at the center of the death of two good DEA agents. He was clearly very embroiled in all of this stuff. And and part of it might be that he has atoned slightly for what he's done by living on his own. And of course, he dies here, which is sort of the ultimate price, I guess, he has to pay. But he never really has to... He doesn't have an extended suffering for, for all the sins that he's committed. So I kind of want to get your take on, just from a, from a, a further out view... Do you like the direction that they took him as a character? I actually really do for a couple of reasons. Um, and first, let me just say, so I played that, that, just a little bit of that music, right? The ending music. When that's going on, Walt is in his lab. He's in his lab just surveying the equipment. And it's not actually his lab. No, he's in a lab. He's in the lab that Jesse was cooking in for Uncle Jack and the rest of the Aryan Brotherhood uh, folks. And he's just walking around. He picks up a you know, gas mask that was used for cooks and he's just in his element. And so the lyrics, guess I got what I deserve, kept you waiting there too long, my love, all that time without a word. Didn't know you'd think that I'd forget or I'd regret the special love I have for you, my baby blue. So like he's back in the place where he makes his blue meth and that is just where he wants to be and then he collapses, etc. Oh, also one thing I forgot to mention on the two minute summary, it says he dies. We don't actually know that. There's no way of knowing yeah. definitively that he's dead, but um, I digress. Um, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Vince Gilligan's not going to make a Breaking Bad, uh, you know, sequel. Um, but so that song, I think, is remarkable and feeds this discussion for a couple of reasons. So I like the direction they went with this, Josh, because they have to have the character come back and either achieve redemption or attempt redemption, I think, to, ha to show some sort of character development or, you know, attempt at progress. But the difference is we look at the we look at it, I think, and we say like they tried to make him heroic. But I think what's what's actually going going on here is they tried to portray him trying to be heroic. In other words, he goes back there and he's like, I'm gonna set up my family for life because that's what I started out to do here anyway. I'm going to go to Uncle Jack's, I'm gonna kill them, I'm gonna free Jesse, etc. And so he, I think, in his mind, is trying to be heroic. But we recognize that's not actually heroism. Now, it's true that it's, it's you know, we look at him kill Uncle Jack and his crew, 
and we think, yes, got him. But all that is is recognizing the principle. I call it the Qui-Gon Jinn principle from Star Wars Episode <laughs> One. that ridiculous line yeah. where he's like, there's always a bigger fish. So, <laughs> you know, there's always a bigger fish in the sense that there's always a, a more bad guy. And Uncle Jack's crew are just downright bad. They're downright evil. No, no gray areas, no middle lines there. So he knocks them off. But, I mean, what else does he do? He, uh, he's totally broken his relationship with his family, and he has not restored that. Um, he has not attempted to restore that. He has, um, he's, he still bears responsibility for Jesse's death, and even still at the very end, and we'll talk about this, was still trying to manipulate Jesse and doing what he wanted him to do rather than what Jesse wanted to do. And ultimately, he doesn't actually go to the authorities and confess for anything. He doesn't admit that he was ever wrong. He doesn't say he regretted it. He, in fact, says the opposite to Skyler. So, so I like this episode because on the outside, superficially, it looks like heroism, perhaps, on first glance. And certainly Walt thinks that it's something like that, something like atonement, something like redemption, something like heroism. But actually, I think it's very, very far from that. We see that Walt is really just such a like morally and ethically warped man that what he thinks of as heroism is for us anything but. Yeah, I definitely had all those very in-depth thoughts, just like you. <laughs> no, I didn't. Those that's that's a that's great great analysis. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think that I think that that is probably something that you're rewarded with on on rewatching this a couple times because sure. you're able to examine it more. You know, I think to your point on the surface, you see you sort of see this big shootout battle at the end, and you think, wow, that was a great set piece, very cool ending for for this guy you know maybe we really can root for him but i think that you know you probably having seen it three or four times allows you to look a little bit deeper what's really under the surface there so i think that's that's really well taken uh another broader thoughts and themes i wanted to bring up here is i don't get the sense that walt initially goes to save jesse when he goes to to the aryan brotherhood compound because at that point he thinks that I really think he believes that Jesse has partnered with them. And then he quickly finds out that Jesse has been, in essence, enslaved by these people. So do you think that's the main reason why he changes his mind? Or or what is your take on on why Walt ultimately decides to... I mean, basically, he he literally covers him with his body to protect him from, from the, bullet, the hail of bullets. So is it just because in that moment he changes his mind and says... I really underestimated the circumstances he's in and he really doesn't deserve this. I mean, because just a couple episodes ago, he was, you know, gleefully telling him that he watched Jane die. So there's a big shift. I mean, obviously a lot of time has passed, but. Yeah, I I don't even know if we know enough to say whether or not he was intentionally trying to save Jesse, because the way I watched it, I don't think he particularly wants to save Jesse at all. And I don't think that you know, if he didn't have such a chip on his shoulder against Uncle Jack and his crew, I don't think he would have gone back to kill them um, just for Jesse's sake, to free Jesse. I saw the Jesse thing as him tackling Jesse to the ground, pretending to fight him as an excuse to just get down on the ground before the M60 sure. started yeah, yeah. raining. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I interpreted it a little bit differently, only because there are a couple shots as the the bullets are sort of coming through the, the siding of the compound where you get shots of Walt. And I really feel like maybe I'm imagining this. Maybe I really need to go back and examine it closely. But I I seem to remember Walt like physically like keeping himself down, like really not just being on top of Jesse, but like 
trying to protect him from the hail of bullets. Like he will take this last thing for Jesse to free him, not just from Jack and his crew, but really from the the reign of Walter White and Heisenberg. So maybe I'm making that up, but I, I seem to remember when I rewatched it that there is a moment where you sort of see him like physically keep himself down, not like roll off to the side. I mean, certainly doesn't roll off to the side to like protect himself. Um, and you'd sort of see this moment where did a bullet just hit Walt? There's sort of like a, a moment where he flinches or sort of. And I think he realizes at that point, like if he doesn't stay down, Jesse might not make it out of there alive either. So I, I, I'm sort of with you on that. Like, it's hard to say for sure. But I, I seem to think that there might be a moment where you get that Walt in that moment, whether it changed a while before or, you know, 15 seconds before that he really does is attempting to save Jesse because he also then ends up with a gun after shooting uncle Jack and makes no move to stop Jesse. I mean, he certainly tries to manipulate him again, as you said, but he doesn't try to to kill him or anything like that. So I don't know. I think that might be still up in the air. I mean, he's certainly Jesse's certainly going to have scars from, from Walt for forever from yeah. this point on, but I mean, let's just call Vince Gilligan and ask him. Let's do it. Let's see. And, and then with that, we're going to bring on Vince Gilligan. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, if we could do that. Great, the last yeah. episode. Um, the only other broader thoughts and themes, I, I just wanted to get your take. So we've been seeing this ricin from, you know, all the way back or in early seasons. Did it, did it, did the payoff work for you? I mean, like it, I mean, it's, a, it was built up very early on as sort of this, uh, this, uh, you know, like you see Chekhov's gun, you see the gun and it's got to go off at some point. And ultimately it's used on Lydia which I guess is fine for me. It's sort of like, okay, I, I appreciate the inventiveness. I mean, they're a little on the nose with like showing you the zooming in on her coffee cup as the Stevie goes in. We've never seen a shot like that before. So I, I'm a little bit like, okay. Um, I certainly like that the, a character like that gets her comeuppance, but I don't know if I'm like sold on, like we've been seeing this thing hid and lost and then hid in the outlet and then finally re- re- retrieved and, Ultimately, it's used on Lydia, who's a relatively minor character. Yeah, I mean, I'll just I'll just say this too. This is my best moment nomination, specifically when she is putting the stevia in her tea, and it's just because uh, I like the camera work on there, I like the zoom in. Yeah, uh, and then I also like how you know Walt walks away, and they have that discussion about how they're of course they're not doing business with him, et cetera. And so we're like, oh wow, Walt lost, and then you see the close up of the stevia. If you're watching this for the first time, I think that's when you realize it because you've already seen him you've already seen him go get his stash and you're yeah. like, "Oh, snap." <laughs> um and so yeah. it's just it's just kind of a, a fun kind of camera trick there, I think. Um but I yeah, totally maybe it doesn't maybe it just doesn't do it on the rewatch. Like you already sort of know. Like that's yeah. one of those things that I didn't forget rewatching this. So yeah. maybe it maybe it does not as rewarding when you rewatch it. Well, and I think you're right though too. I mean, Lydia is a pretty minor character, but going back to the whole like you know, heroism, redemption thing. I mean, Lydia is also a single mom. And the only reason that Walt has for killing her is in some sort of revenge um, for sort of inconveniencing him, refusing to do business with him, and or um, he doesn't want any blue meth on the streets anymore because that's his product, et cetera. You know, his his baby blue. Uh, and yeah. so I think it's interesting that he chooses to kill her. Uh, and it says something about his moral state too, again, but... I agree with you in general. Like it would have been better to see the ricin somehow used on an Uncle Jack figure. You know, not Gus Fring because that was a pretty creative way to kill him with the wheelchair yeah. bomb, but a level, a character with the level of Gus Fring, I think. 
Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, anything else before we jump into best scene, best moment, best writing? Now nah, let's roll. Well, I think I'll just cover my best scene quickly here. I, I picked the shootout at the end, which we've talked a little bit about as being like, it's not necessarily the greatest moment in the episode thematically, but I do like it for sort of the the grand scale of like a final episode battle. I mean, like you, you wanted something explosive for the ending, and I certainly think they delivered here. So for no other reason than it's just entertaining to sort of see like this inventiveness from Walt, this one last gasp, like on the surface, it's an exciting scene. Um, and so I picked it as my best scene. Now, I think that there are better nuanced scenes in the episode, but I chose them uh, more as my best writing or best moments. So we'll talk more about those, but I'll just get that one out of the way at first. I know you said you didn't, you don't love it that much, but I think just purely on the surface, it's entertaining. And it's sort of like you, you wouldn't have expected when the series started for there to be this big shootout at the end of the series. And so to sort of be able to get there in a way that doesn't seem completely out of left field is is kind of interesting for the show. Yeah, I totally hear you. And I think it is exciting. I agree with all those points. But my issue with it is, and this goes to your Ryson point too, right? Like this guy is a brilliant chemist and has engineers in pretty creative ways to poison slash kill people. You know, Stevie and the T, Lily of the Valley for Brock, etc., and, like, we're going to end the series with him jerry-rigging an M60 machine gun. You know, that's a that's a big, yeah. heavy machine gun uh, to, you know, do, like, a 45-degree sweep from the back of a car automatically, and it'll just kill everyone in the room. I mean, like, it was just a bit, a, a bit too far-fetched for me. I would have much preferred to see him do some sort of, like, creative, you know, odorless, toxic gas or something, know, something something more chemically yeah. uh, that would be more befitting for Heisenberg. Um, you know, I just thought Which it actually was... might've worked because I, I meant to mention this a couple episodes ago, but when uncle Jack is initially like reviewing the product of Todd, Todd's like, uh, uncle Jack, you should uh, probably put on the mask. And Jack, uncle Jack is very much an anti-masker, <laughs> which time. I think is very, <laughs> which is very relevant in our current time. Like he would definitely not be wearing definitely a mask not, in yeah. the current 2020 pandemic. <laughs> well, since you mentioned the, the shootout sort of being this like far-fetched thing, uh, this is my only my biggest nitpick for the episode is this like ending scene. It, it does seem like everything. Could this really possibly work? And to that point, Mythbusters did an entire episode dedicated to Breaking Bad a couple of years ago before they went off the air. And they did examine this. Is it possible for someone to jury rig a machine gun in the back of a car and it actually work? And it does. I mean, it took a lot of work by the by. um Adam and Jamie on the Mythbusters to like get it to work. But Vince Gilligan was a guest uh, guest on that on that episode of Mythbusters. It's fascinating to see like that it actually could work if all the elements were in place. So not likely, but certainly as they put it plausible. So I, I guess it can't be a true nit to pick if if the Mythbusters themselves, you know, prove that it could happen. Uh, but I, I do agree. It Everything does have to work perfectly. And it does seem a little bit like too neat for yeah. Walter White at the end of the show. And like, you know, you and I are not, uh, you know, battle-hardened Aryan Brotherhood members who have been yeah, in no. shootouts before, but... Wouldn't say, wouldn't say yeah, that. Yeah, definitely not. But, uh, you know, if if you were in a room and that room started suddenly becoming riddled with bullets through the walls, what what's the first thing you do? Dive down. Yeah, exactly. Dive way. down. Like, you get out of the way. You're like, people are shooting at me. What I get out of the path of the bullets. But no, like, yeah. everyone somehow stays standing up, and then you just get shot because... Except for Todd. Todd's the only one. He, that's true. He somehow manages to avoid it. Yeah. yeah. 
And so then, there's this room of this room of like six people, and only one of them actually gets down on the ground when <laughs> right, the bullets right, start right. flying. I mean, probably the least experienced one of them. Yeah, all. exactly, exactly. It's like I feel like this is it's kind of basic stuff. You just you dive down when the bullets start flying. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's talk. You already talked about your your best moment. I want to save that your your best scene and the best writing because they're sort of the biggest. It's certainly the most nuanced moment of the episode, but I think certainly one of the most powerful. So I'll just talk quickly about my best moment. I had two because they cert- I, I really couldn't choose, but I, they're two small moments, no audio here. But the first one is we see this this really strange scene. We're not really sure what we're seeing at first, but it's someone's doing like woodworking, working with their hands, creating this really beautiful piece of furniture, sort of um, doing some sanding and then and then some finishing. And it turns out that it's Jesse and he's sort of imagining we, what we realize is he's imagining as he's in the lab chained to this this thing above him that he literally can't get away and he's thinking about what could have been and i love this moment because i think this is just so evident of it's just a perfect way to sort of paint jesse this is what he could have he could have been he could have done something really wholesome really lovely with his life and maybe he's imagining he could still do it and it's just this like really beautiful juxtaposition between this really bright warm uh, warmly shot scene of him woodworking and then him in this cold reality of having being forced to cook meth. So I, I like that. So I've and then the other question for you. Oh, though. Yeah. So do you think that was a, a uh, an imagination of what could have been like an alternate future? Or do you think that was a flashback to the box that he built? And the remember he told his, um, Oh yeah. His yeah. rehab group about this. And he described, he was like, I mean, it, it, it was a box, like, like a box, <laughs> but it was yeah. a really nice box. So do you think it was maybe a flashback to that? It's possible it's a flashback. It seemed it seemed a little bit too like professional. Yeah. Maybe it was him like uh, building that up in his head. Yeah. Sure. Sort of like you know because in that I I believe in that episode he said you know I could have done this like I could have maybe I could have gone into woodworking like I, maybe it's him sort of embellishing that memory thinking how much better that would have been than his current situation. So it's the, possible. The other question I had: Did you think it looked like he looked like anyone else when that scene starts? Like, did I think it was someone else? Yeah, or I guess, I mean, we know it's Jesse, right? But to me, I'll just I'll just say what I'm thinking here. And this might sound pretty far-fetched, but so we cut to this scene. Like you said, it's warm tones, right? Like, not exactly sepia, but very warm tones. Yeah, it's like golden colors. It's yeah. Like, uh, yeah. We see lots of carpentry being done. We don't see the face of the person who's doing it, We but we see the hands, pretty clearly a man's hands. And the man is wearing what looks like it's like a loose fitting. We see we zoom out later. It's like a loose fitting white sweater, but it yeah. almost looks like a robe. And there's a part of me when I was watching that, I was like, this could be a like close up shot of Jesus of Nazareth working in his carpentry shop. Yeah. And that's I, fair. I have to think that was deliberate in some way. And I've been trying to like tease out why that might be. Um, but, you know, perhaps like some theme along like lamb led to the slaughter, um, you know, mistreated and, um, you know, set, set up like to sac- you know, sacrifice for everyone else, etc. I don't know. It, there was just an interesting parallel there that I think could not have been lost by the editors and certainly probably by the cameraman directors uh, working on that as well. Yeah, no, I like that. And certainly there's nothing too far fetched for this podcast. Zach. If we nothing. learn nothing in 62 <laughs> episodes. You know, we can be as far-fetched as we want. Our audience loves it. Absolutely. My only, uh, my my other, my other tie for for best moment is when Walt says goodbye to Holly, 
And sort of at the end of this this scene between Walt and Skyler, which we're going to talk about in a moment, he asks if he can see Holly and say goodbye to her. And, you know, this is another example of a scene that affected me completely differently now as a parent, as opposed to when I first watched it as someone who was, I believe, engaged at the time, but not but not married, didn't have kids. And just, you know, thinking about having to say goodbye to someone you're not going to see again, who you care about so much. I mean, Holly, if we're talking about blameless victims, she certainly, of all of the characters in the entire show, even more so than Andrea, uh, who we talked about in our Granite State episode, I mean, Holly has done nothing. She's just existed. And as as all children are, there are these innocent, especially one of that age where she's still so little, and so watching Walt have to say goodbye to her is it's like heartbreaking. And yes, he might deserve to not see his children again based on all of his actions. I mean, he might have brought it on himself, but it doesn't make it any less difficult to watch him have to say goodbye to her. And it's there's no audio. It's not like he's he's weeping. I mean, there is a tear, but it's very simple, but it's so well done. And I think it's very moving when you I certainly think that anybody working on the show who had kids was able to sort of point to this and say that this would be a more realistic portrayal of this. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, all of these things, we've talked about this before, but like all of these scenes just, uh, as they say, hit different now that I'm a parent, you know? Like I yeah. just, uh, I can't, I don't relate to them in the same way that I did when I watched them for the first time. Yeah. My only other thing on best moment, I had an honorable mention, which is the the sort of, uh, poorly described in the two-minute summary, Jesse's joyful cry as he drives away. I, I, I more referred to it as like a guttural scream. It's like a, re- a release of like emotion, essentially, when he's driving away. Now, the only reason I didn't pick this, and this is a, a slight spoiler, though they're not, they're not really now that we're at the end of the series. Uh, you know, Vince Gilligan did create a sequel, which is the the Breaking Bad movie, the El Camino, which which focuses almost entirely on the immediate aftermath of Jesse driving away. And I actually think that, you know, we haven't talked about the movie in the context of the the show yet. Uh, in this sense, I don't like that the movie exists because I like the idea of what does that mean for Jesse when he's driving away? Yes, he's escaping, physically escaping. But we also know that he's not uh, mentally or spiritually escaping. Like he still has all these demons that he's going to have to deal with. And I love that that I love that moment where he's just sort of releases all this emotion. And we as the viewer are sort of left like, what happens to Jesse? Now we do find out, and it's an interesting, uh, interesting movie that that came about of it, you know, in El Camino. But I, I really love this when I first watched the the series finale, that I really liked that we didn't have a definitive what happened to Jesse, what does this mean for him? Because on its surface it means something, but maybe underneath it means something else. Yeah, I like that. Zach, Zach, you already mentioned your best moment, which was Lydia putting the Steve in, into her tea. And so let's move on to your best scene, uh, which is sort of coupled with both of our best writing. I'll let you sort of introduce this, uh, especially with regards to how it's how it's portrayed in terms of the scene. And then we'll talk about the writing together. Yeah, sure. So this is one of, I think, the best stage scenes that I've ever seen in an episode of Breaking Bad. We're in Skyler's new apartment, and there is a large beam that blocks a portion of the shot from the viewer's eyes. And we're seeing Skylar answer the phone, talk to Marie. Marie's saying, hey, they say that Walt's around. I want you to be really careful, etc." And then she hangs up the phone. 
And then as we zoom in, we see that Walt is just standing there in the kitchen. So the uh, the um, the obfuscation in the scene is really good there. But then there's some other stuff that happens too. If you look across from Skylar, there's a microwave directly across from her, from where she's sitting at the table. And where the camera is, you can see Walt's face as he's talking to Skylar, but you can't see Skylar's face because her back is to the camera, but you can see her face in the microwave. And it's a little bit small. It's, you know, far off. It's, you know, the microwave is probably about 15 feet, maybe 20 feet from where the camera shot is staged, but you can still make out her face. So we, we're basically seeing, you know, the faces of each as even, even as one of them is fully away from the camera and one of them is fully facing the camera. Um, so that's really good. And we get some good stuff here in the scene, um, including uh, your best writing nomination, um, Josh, that I think is just really powerful. And we also get the lottery ticket scene and we get Anna Gunn's incredible acting when she starts to break down when Walt tells her that the lottery ticket is in fact coordinates for where she'll find Gomi and Hank. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I just feel like this is one of those scenes that is just like perfectly staged and executed. I mean, in terms of a, from a filmmaking perspective, I, I seem to remember reading or watching something with Vince Gilligan talking about how he had this idea in his head, like this shot. And I just love the idea that you're able to build a scene that's incredibly powerful around something that, you know, starts with this very clever camera movement and, you know, it's basically a, a pan across and then a push in on a dolly or something like that um, into the scene to reveal Walt there. So that's pretty amazing. So I think let's move on to best writing. And I, I was a little bit mistaken because, Zach, you had initially picked the same scene as your best writing. We'll then talk about the very, very end, which is your actual nomination just for to have a little variety here. But let's first talk about this best writing between Walt and Skyler. So let's hear a little bit of their of their conversation here and then. Uh, and then we'll talk about it from there. Skylar. All the things that I did. You need to understand. I have to hear one more time that you did this for the family. I did it for me. I liked it. I was good at it. And I was really I was alive. So I we have to talk about this because I really feel like up until Granite State, the last episode, that he keeps maintaining that the reason that he's done all of this is for his family. And then we get this big reveal, which I don't think really can be understated because we haven't heard this from him at all, that really the reason that he did it and that he stuck with it was because he liked it, that he was good at it, that it was really for him. And I guess when you think about it, it's not that surprising because we've noticed how almost every decision he's made is based on his personal ego. And so I guess in that sense, it's not surprising that this is the ultimate reveal. But what did you make of this when when you first heard it or even now on a, on a rewatch? You're exactly right, Josh. It cannot be, the significance cannot be overstated. I think this is kind of what I was saying about, you know, is he a hero for coming back? Is the show making him into a hero? 
And I think no, because he's now finally for once, you know, I feel like Walt Jr. Like, why don't you for once just tell the truth, right? And now he finally is. He's telling the truth that this was in, in fact what he wanted to do, um, which I think is a remarkable, remarkable confession because he's been convincing everyone. And in many respects, I think even himself, that really everything he's doing is for his family. And now he's at a place where he's acknowledging, no, this was for me. And this explains, of course, why after everyone dies at the compound at the very end and Jesse drives off, Walt, he, you know, if he is on the verge of death, he's got a few minutes before he dies. He could right there call Skyler and apologize for everything. He could call Walt Jr. and apologize for everything and say that I wanted to give you so much more and it shouldn't have been money and I should have given you my love and affection. Uh, but what does he do? He walks into the meth lab and just starts stroking all the equipment and then he dies <laughs> as we hear the, you know, my baby blue song. So um, it, it was for him. And, and this is the confession that as viewers, we've wanted to hear all along. I wonder too, because I think everything you said is is exactly right. It makes perfect sense. Do you think there's any possible element that, while it is, while it might be true, the reason he's saying it to Skylar is to relieve her of any burden that she was really the cause that he did it so that you know he's been saying all along, I did it for you, I did it for the family because I wanted to leave you something. But by saying it was for him, she no longer has to feel like. Well, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have done it. If it wasn't for Walt Jr. and Holly that you wouldn't have done it. So is there any part of it that he's trying to just the same in the same way that when he called her in Ozymandias, where he sort of and I don't get the sense that it's the exact same because of the the acting performance by Brian Cranston. So he might have asked that very question to Vince Gilligan, who directed the episode as well as wrote it. But I wonder if there's any element that possibly could be that he's he's trying to relieve her once and for all of the burden of Walter White slash Heisenberg. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I will say that your theory is intriguing to me because obviously he tells her I spent my last dime coming out here. He has mm -hmm. not told her that he lost that he left, you know, whatever it was, ten million seven hundred twenty thousand dollars with Elliot and Gretchen in a, a secure trust fund for Junior. Um, so there's certainly some things he's keeping from her. But I have to think, or have to ask myself, what is more devastating as far as a burden to carry with you? To think that you were married to someone who did unspeakable things in a, in a misguided attempt to provide for his family, or that you were married married to someone who did unspeakable things because he liked doing unspeakable things. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, like, no, I, I, yes, that's true. Yeah, I don't know which. Is, I mean, I think the latter is a bigger burden. Yeah, it seems like the latter might be a bigger burden. Yeah, I think so. And and I don't think we've seen any evidence so far that. Skyler has somehow internalized or blamed herself that all this has happened. I mean, while right. while Walt was doing some awful things, she, you know, we had the IFT episode, for example. So, right. um, yeah, I don't know. This this seems like a raw confession to me more than anything. Right. So intriguing theory, but but probably not the case. Zach, you made an interesting point that this this speech sort of reminds you of something else, which I had completely forgotten about, did not make the connection. So I'll let you speak to that. Yeah, just one of my favorite lines in Breaking Bad comes from the pilot. Uh, so this is obviously the finale. Now we're going back to the pilot. He tells Skyler here, I was alive. And it reminded me of this conversation he had with Jesse way back when. Man. Some straight like you giant stick up his ass all of a sudden at age, what, 60? He's just going to break bad? I'm 50. It's weird is all, okay? It, it doesn't compute. Listen, if you've gone crazy 
or something. I mean, if you've if you if you've gone crazy or depressed, I'm I'm just saying that that's something I need to know about. Okay? I mean, that that affects me. I am awake. And that's it. I am awake. So we Simpler tell times. He, yeah, exactly. I know it, that makes no me. No one had that, died yet. No one. <laughs> that makes me miss the young Jesse. I know. So I know. Funny. I love his. I love his brazen attitude at that time. Yeah. If you're crazy, I need to know about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's pretty great. All right, Zach. Well, that I think just leaves your best writing nomination, which for for the sake of variety, you picked the very end here. So we'll hear a little bit of that, and then I'll let you speak to why you picked it. Yeah. So I'm excited about this one actually, um, because I didn't I didn't watch it or I didn't see the same thing in it. Until I rewatched it today, in fact, I was you know going through some of the episode and trying to find a good nomination because I originally had the same best writing as you, and I was like, oh, I got to come up with something different now. So it's at the very end when this happens. Do it. You want this. Say the words. Say you want this. Nothing happens until I hear you say it. I want this. So there's a lot going on here, despite the fact that there's not a whole lot of dialogue. And I think that the, the, the like normal interpretation of this is Jesse's really broken up. He really hates Walt. He wants Walt dead because of all the things that Walt has gotten him into and ultimately, um, uh, you know, caused for him. And he holds the gun up, but Jesse is fundamentally a good guy, and Jesse can't bring himself to pull the trigger. Walt says, "Do it. You want this." And Jesse, of course, he wants that. But then Jesse says, "Like, well, I'm not going to do it unless you also say right. Because who wants to kill someone unless they also want to be killed? Right? I mean, uh." Uh, or, I mean, or someone like Jesse wouldn't want to pull the trigger unless that person wants to be killed. I mean, we have sort of flashbacks to, um, not actual flashbacks, but we can imagine Jesse's having flashbacks to Gail Bedecker when he shot Gail Bedecker in the head. Um, and then so Walt says, I want this. And then at, at, if you're watching this the first time through, I think you're like, oh, now Jesse's going to kill him, and that's how the series ends. But no, that's not what happens. Jesse puts the gun down. And so I think the traditional narrative says, like, Jesse still was such a good guy, he couldn't bring himself to do it. But I think something something like subtly different but much more profound is happening here because the entire relationship of Walt and Jesse has been one of manipulation. That's why a few episodes ago when Walt had Jesse meet him out in the desert, uh, Jesse said, like, just stop stringing me around. Just tell me that you want me to do this. Tell me you want me to go away for you because you need it, and then I'll do it. And so we see basically that same conversation happen right here but this time, obviously, the stakes are much higher for Walt. And Jesse knows what he wants. He wants Walt dead. And Walt says, you want this. Well, then Jesse says, I'm not going to do anything until you say to me that you want it. And then we think, if Walt says he wants it, Jesse's going to do it. Walt says he wants it, but Jesse actually does the exact opposite of that because Jesse's like, I am done giving you what you want. So in, in, in a sense, because you want me to do this, I am not going to do this and I'm going to go, I'm going to chart a different path. And I think that is like the moment finally where Jesse is free because he has, he has severed himself from the shackles of this, you know, father son relationship where he was always being manipulated. And it's no coincidence, of course, that then Jesse gets into a car 
and drives away literally free. Yeah. I think just to add on to that, because I think as you were starting to talk about it, I was like, I think I see where he's going with this, which is, I, I think, totally uh, a really smart way of looking at this. But if you notice specifically, if we're talking about writing, the writing that is, is in Jesse's line there, he doesn't say, I'm not going to pull the trigger until you say it. He says nothing happens exactly until you say it. And then truly nothing happened when he said it. And, and I think it's just a really smart turn of phrase, a smart sentence to put in there to sort of indicate that there might be something a little deeper that they could have just said, I'm not going to pull the trigger until you say it. And then it's very on the nose, like, okay, well, then why did he pull the trigger? Right. Or he's definitely going to kill him. But yep. yeah, I think there's that's a that's a really smart pull there at the very end. Yeah, so that's my best writing nomination. And that's it. All right. So I think that wraps up pretty much everything in this episode. Of course, we have a couple nits to pick and then our final MVP. And then we'll give the MVP tally. So, Zach, I already gave my nit to pick, which was the the machine gun scene. So give your if you have any nits to pick and then we'll go to the MVP to wrap up this episode. Yeah, I've only got one more uh, besides the far fetched shootout that we already talked about. And that is um, well, it's actually not a nit. I thought it was going to be a nit and it turned out not to be because I was like, why would Walt tell Lydia that she was poisoned by ricin? Because what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to call your doctor or go to the ER or whatever and say, like, I've been poisoned by ricin. Just give me the antitoxin antidote, whatever, and I'll be fine. And I was like, why would he tell her now when she's clearly able to talk on the phone? She's functioning. She hasn't started seizing or anything like that yet. And then I did some very basic research. I mean, like one Google search and found out from the CDC that there is no antidote to ricin, which is crazy to me. Can you imagine that? That is crazy. Yeah. So actually, he's not really hurting anything by telling her this because there's almost nothing the doctors could do other than like keep her hydrated and comforted and you know, when she does start having neurological symptoms, some meds to control that, but all you can do is sort of ride it out. And I imagine he knows what he's doing and probably gave her a lethal dose that is going to be lethal regardless of what happens. So not a yeah, actually probably, probably made it worse for her because he's telling her like, well, here's what you have to look forward to over the next couple of days as yeah. you slowly, you know, die, your, your organs fail and you die. Horrible. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. All right, Zach, that leaves just the MVP for this episode. I'm curious to see where you go. There's a lot of potential options here. I mean, obviously, there's one main character throughout, but it could go any number of ways. So who is your MVP for this episode? So to me, it's between two people. Walt is obviously the first. Jesse is the second. Because of the discussion we just had about that final scene between Walt and Jesse, I'm actually going to go with Jesse. I think um, Jesse is the one who who finally escapes at the end of this. Certainly not without his scars, but he does. He severs the shackles, uh, holding, you know, literally, obviously, holding him in that compound, but also um, binding him to Walt. Um, and I think in doing so, he illustrates to us, like, you know, there's there's a lesson here, right? I mean, one of these people has been caught up in the thing more or less against his will the entire time, the entire show. The other one has been the architect of it. You know, and, and he's the one who dies at the end and Jesse's the one who who escapes um, not happily, certainly not um, crying joyously, as the uh, as the summary said, but he escapes nonetheless. Um, and in doing so, he um, I think he he also teaches Walt something about himself. Uh, Walt doesn't have much time to reflect on that, unfortunately, but um, I'm going to give it to Jesse for this episode. But it is a very close one. You know, also honorable mentions to uh, honorable mention to Skyler, who had just a phenomenal 
acting performance, especially in that one kitchen scene. Yeah, no, I think I think you're totally right. Yeah, I really do think it's between uh, uh, two characters here. And, you know, I can't believe that I'm doing this for the final episode, but it's just a truly amazing turn coming off the bus, heading into home for for Walt Jr. He's going <laughs> to. Nope, nope. Couldn't couldn't even keep a straight face doing that. He will not get my MVP. Bill. You know, I think I think I have to give it to Walt for this final episode. I really think that it's it's mainly because this really is, the story of Breaking Bad when you when you look at it is Walt's story. You know, for better or for worse, we see sort of the rise and fall of this man. And you know, for whatever quibbles we have with this episode, you know, the shootout at the end is that a little hokey? Is it even truly plausible? Is it possible? You know, it really is about him. And I. I and especially when you started describing your theory and sort of your in-depth analysis about Walt as a character, is he really heroic in this episode or is that merely a surface level thing that really got me thinking like that they did the character justice. And so for that reason, I'm going to give my final MVP vote to Walt. So, I mean, there was really no hope of Jesse catching Walt anyway. He was, he was too far behind, but for our final tally, that leaves Walt in first place with 33 MVP votes, Jesse in a close second with 29, Skyler in third with 15, Hank in fourth with 10, and then we've got a couple other. We have Gus with seven. We have Mike with seven, so I guess they, that would be tied for fifth place. We have a couple people with... We have Marie with five. Wow, okay, so she came in a, a, a clear sixth, I guess seventh place if you're going to... I'm doing math on the fly. This is getting confusing. But, you know, bringing up the rear, of course, uh, we have a, a who's who of minor characters with one vote apiece. You have the fly. You have Todd. You have Ed the Disappear. And, of course, bringing up the rear. <laughs> or Always Jr. at the bottom. Walt Jr., a.k.a. Flynn, a.k.a. Breakfast, zero zilch, never. Whew, we made it through the whole series. He never got a single MVP vote. I'm curious, Zach. Did, would did you, you ever waver? Considered? No, I never wavered. But mm. I'm curious. If I'd never said that from the very beginning... Would you have ever considered, maybe I could throw him one here and there. Like, I'm not sure he would, I, I think it'd be hard to say that he would beat someone else out, but you know, I did give one to the fly. So it's possible that <laughs> one episode he could have. You literally gave one an to an book. insect. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think if, if there was a, if there was an episode for him to possibly earn that, it would have been uh, Granite State. And there's just too much going on from Brian Cranston, I think, to yeah. justifiably consider uh, RJ Mitty for it. Yeah, he really truly was like the, a supporting character. He never had an episode that really was like his perspective, which I think is probably the the curse of being the child of a character in an in a TV series. Totally. So. I think that's probably why he never was elevated to like, let me show an episode of what Walt Jr. is going through because it's just not that interesting. Well, and as, as we've talked to about too, I think one weakness of the show is the way that they deal with the children characters, right? I mean, whether it's yeah. like Holly being unaccounted for for five hours, you know, <laughs> right, right. Or, or it's like them not quite knowing what to do with Walter Jr. as he's interacting with his parents. I think that's one, you know, I think the writer's room would have benefited from having a few more parents in there. Yeah, it is a double-edged sword, though, because as we've talked about, even in this episode, there are some incredibly powerful moments when it comes to the kids. So it's almost like you wish you had them, you're glad you have them, and then at other times you're like, I wish we didn't have to deal with like the fact that Holly is in this hotel room in the bright lights, apparently asleep, 
which I still can't get over from several episodes ago in in this uh, in this series. Zach, I believe that will do it for Felina and do it for Breaking Bad, our rewatch. Anything else that we missed? No, I don't think so, but I'm excited for our big retrospective episode where we just talk about the entire show from start to finish. Yes, yeah, so so please join us next week. We will have one episode where we sort of wrap up final thoughts on the series, final thoughts on our podcasting journey. It's been a long one. We appreciate all of our listeners who stuck with us the whole time. It's been a lot of fun. As Zach and I were talking about before, it's been a lot of work too. It's, you know, it's fun to rewatch these, but it's also, you know, a lot of work to sort of analyze things on a deeper level. But I... You know, I'm ready to answer the question next week. Is this the greatest show ever made? I think that was another one we we sort of uh, posited at the beginning of this whole thing. So please tune back in for the answers to all of the questions. Just like Vince Gilligan, we will leave no stone uncovered, no loose end unwrapped. Zach, anything else? No, that's it. If you have anything else for us, last chance for us to read your feedback on the show, please reach out to us breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com again send us an email a voice message anything you'd like please share your thoughts with us we'd be happy to share it on our on our retrospective until next week for our very last time i'm josh i'm zach talk to you then <laughs>